Welcome to the Extreme Upland Podcast. This week, we're with Brett Wanacott. Out here in the Western United States, Brett is an iconic figure, especially here in Utah with his English setters, his shoot-to-retrieve competitions, and now a brand-new author. We're excited to hear all that he's doing. Very excited to have him. Let's get right to the podcast. Folks, just couldn't be more excited than sitting around the campfire tonight with Brett Wanacott. And if you could think of the upland hunter of, of upland hunters, this is the man. Uh, out here in the West, he's well known for many, many things. I guess you would call him kind of the upland hunter, jack of all trades. He'd be the Swiss Army upland hunting knife. Uh, you're talking about a guy that's just a phenomenal dog trainer, upland hunter. Uh, he's, he, he guides uh, for a lot of the upscale media here. Um, and he's, he's involved in just a lot of things. A, a new author we're going to talk about tonight, a conservationist, uh, and just gives back and, and uh, you know, does some duck hunting. And we're not going to hold that against him, but we're going to talk about it a little tonight. We're so privileged to have Brett Wanacott tonight. And uh, Brett, thanks for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Appreciate you having me. Brett, I, I was introduced to you a couple years ago as we started kind of getting into the setter game. And it was apparent right off the bat, uh, the phenomenal trainer you are. And you've taught us a lot as we've kind of watched you work your dogs. But I think what's, um, you know, unique about you and your kind of your dogs is, is everybody knows who your dogs are out here in the West. Yeah, at least in Utah, a lot of people seem to know who they are. But we do some television or, you know, local TV and they get seen on the television show quite a bit and social media. So... My wife says that uh, I know your dogs better than my own kids half the time. Well, I, I don't know about that. but <laughs> So you, you grew up in a hunting family. I know that. You, you had, uh, your fathers were deeply involved in hunting and, and uh, were involved in different breeds. You kind of, got, you kind of uh, moved over to the setter. You know, give us a bit of a, how that worked. Yeah, so my background, I grew up uh, in a divorced home, which worked to my favor. Uh, my stepdad was a was a duck hunter and a, and a deer hunter, and he enjoyed those types of things. And my and my, my father, he was a um, a breeder of German short-haired pointers, and he enjoyed pheasant hunting. That was upland game hunting to him. Was pheasant hunting. Nothing else existed. And uh, he wasn't necessarily a dog trainer, but we always had. Uh, when I go see him on the weekends, we always had puppies around. So my first experiences with training dogs were teaching puppies to do things that they're not old enough to do yet. And, um, you know, teaching them to sit and fetch and all those things with, like, six-week-old puppies. Um, my dad had come out and, what are you doing? And he's, you know, we're, we're just selling them, you know. Anyway, but uh, so that was, that was my first puppies. And my first dogs were field trial dropouts that, you know, my dad hooked me up with and, and those types of things. And then I got the duck hunting for my, for my stepdad. And, and so both of them were good enough to take me and introduce me to to hunting and as I've gotten older I've learned to appreciate that there's so many uh, young men and women today that didn't get that from their dads and uh, you know they they have a really hard time getting into it and that seems to be a big thing today. I really want to tell you about something that's made a big difference to our dogs here at Extreme Upland. We run a big stream of dogs and we hunt a lot and we found canine pit stop and their performance supplements called Prehydrate and Refuel and it has made a remarkable difference to us. When we go in the field, the Prehydrate helps our dogs stay super hydrated. It's 
our silver bullet, really, in competition and when we're out hunting. And the refuel is a lot like marathoners using the goo. It's the same thing, folks, that it keeps their energy stores up. The difference that this has made to our dogs, we wanted to let you know. If performance in your dogs matters, if you want to get optimum performance out of your dogs, this natural, easy-to-use system will make the same kind of difference to you. I can't recommend it high enough. Canine Pit Stop, check it out. This is awesome stuff. And I'm, we're going to get that to that in a minute because you give way back to the community and to some of the youth. But in my experience and seeing some of the great trainers, and you know that I, I see a lot of them, mm -hmm. uh, most of them are involved with this as their profession. Dog training, uh, trialing, all that uh, very professionally. But you uh, are a titan of industry, and, uh, and you're a businessman in your own right. And so the things that you do make it even that much bigger of a deal. I'm going to start off with your normal year, work through this uh, just really quickly. But I see you uh, generally around September get pretty serious about it. Uh, I've bugged you before in the past in August, and you say, uh, no, Todd, let the birds dry up a bit, you know. And yeah. But then, then I see you constantly out there in the hills from there all the way through chucker season. Yeah, so if we're going to start in, in the fall, I start getting my dogs prepared around the 1st of August to start getting them fit for, for bird season. Um, bird season is a little bit different than trial season. Um, but, uh, yeah, anyway, I start running them. Um, if I feel like, you know, wild birds are getting old enough, I will run them on wild birds in mid-August. Uh, some years we have late hatches, and I try to keep them away from the birds and let the birds... Uh, do their thing for a couple weeks longer in September we can start hunting them so it's not that big a deal to let them go for a couple weeks if, if we need to people have a lot of respect for your dogs so uh, and, and you you do keep them out in the public a lot you know off of social media but I mean we start with what's ticks 12 years old yeah and and I mean I don't know very many dogs that have more accolades than tick and yeah. and he has nobody that's more of a fan than you yeah ticks ticks an old uh an old dog now, but in his prime, he was he was fun to take places. I like to get the dogs out into the public. I mean, it's not it's not about showing off my dogs. It's about popularizing them. I want people to know these dogs are still used for something today. Um, over in England, the English Setter is an endangered breed. I don't want that to happen in America. And you know, with the decline in field trialing and you know hunter numbers declining across the country, of course, here in Utah we don't have that problem. Um, we have, you know, plenty of guys hunting and, and even some new people hunting. Um, it, I think it's important for those dogs to be out there and, 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 and people see them doing what they were bred to do. Um, and then knowing that they're, they're buddies on top of it. They're not just bird dogs. Yeah, but, you know, a lot of people say that. But in your case, you really live that. And one of the things that I see also that's a little different about you than many other really very serious dog guys is, these, these dogs, are they come as young puppies, and they die in the Wanakot household. They, I mean, you stick with them. You're the most loyal uh, dog guy I've ever seen. Yeah. How do we expect our dogs to be loyal to us if we're not loyal to them? I learn more from a dog that's hard to train. Um, you, my dog Snaps is well documented. He's had some problems, right? He was the most difficult dog I've trained in my life. Uh, he had not a lot to work with. He... Everything I would set up, he would blow up. Uh, most people would have sent him down the road and he would have been somebody's pet. 
Uh, he won the Utah Nastra Region Championship last year. I think a lot of people give up on a dog a little bit early. And believe me, I was tempted. That was the first time in my life I was tempted to send a dog down the road. But, um, hey, man, he's my buddy, and uh, he's with me now. I try to buy from good stock so I don't ever have that problem, and he's out of good stock. Um, just was a little bit rough to, even a little bit, let's call him slow to mature. Yeah, and Tick is slowing down. I see you talk about him, and you, you do hunt him occasionally, but uh, Tick's starting to move into those waning years. Well, the uh, you know the cycle of a dog is is much like us. It's just way faster. Uh, when I'm an old man, I don't want to stop hunting. I might not be able to do the things that I can do today. Uh, heck, today I can't do the things I did 10 years ago, right? But, um, you know, he still loves to hunt. So I get him out for an hour. And he has a hard time walking sometimes later that night. He has a hard time standing up. But for that hour, he's, he's a fun young dog. The joy on his face is, is great. Um, I post all the time, uh, hashtag old dogs rule, and they do. There's some wisdom in an old dog if you look for it. If you're, and we'll put some links to this, I think, but if you've ever wanted to see this dog tick, I mean, he's been in front of lots of crowds. He's a crowd favorite. Uh, he goes around with uh, Brett to train and so forth. But one of the first times I ever saw tick was uh, on a KSL Outdoors up hunting ptarmigan, hiked all the way back in with you, and uh, that's how I started getting to know that dog. And he's been through it all. And so I think one of the things also, Brett, that, that I note, um, you probably don't know that I noticed this, and, but you are very complimentary of other people, their dogs. I see you on social media all the time, helping lift people up, let them know. Uh, and I think that speaks volumes of you as a person, but also as a confident dog trainer. Well, first of all, I love people and I love dogs. So I like what they're doing. I like helping them. Um, one of my favorite things in the whole world to do is, is someone call me and say, hey, man, I'm having a problem. What, you know, what would you do? I love talking that kind of stuff and um, help talking them down. Uh, I mean, I've been that guy. I've been on the phone with, with some of the, the great tain, trainers. Um, you know, Jason Wilde's a favorite of mine. I love to call Jason, and, and he talks me down off the cliff. And he hasn't had to do it a lot, but when he's done it, it's, been, it's meant the world to me. And Talmadge has done the same, Talmadge Smedley. Um, so I love that kind of thing. When, when someone comes to me and I can help them with their, with their dog, and a lot of times it's, it's first-time handlers you know they've got their first dog and you know and that first dog let's just face it friends we're going to screw it up that's what we're going to do um but if you work really hard at it you can at least make a, a you know a serviceable bird dog and, and watching those guys make that that first dog uh, into a bird dog that can that can give them some some uh, enjoyable hunting experiences is, is is pretty rewarding you know why the english setter though brett i mean you You've heard me talk about other breeds before, and you'll always caution me. Uh, no, these are great breeds, and and you know I have a just a really a fondness for English setters. But why you? Because you could, you know, you could have four different kind of breeds. You could have you, but you the English setters your your baby. So my my dad, like I said, he bred German short haired pointers. Um, so German short haired pointers are like my dad's music. That's not going to work out. Do you listen to your dad's music? No way. I don't either. Okay, he's a little bit country. I'm a little bit rock and roll, but. Um, so I went to a different breed as soon as I was old enough, and I bought a Brittany. And that Brittany was an amazing dog, and he was really a fantastic uh, friend and animal. Probably 
if pressed, the best pheasant dog I've ever hunted over. Um, he could never win a field trial, but if I, my life depended on me killing a rooster, and I could take any dog I've ever hunted over, I'd pull him out of the grave and we'd go. Um, but when he got old, I was offered an English setter puppy from a friend of mine, and I'd seen his dogs hunting. They were good. I really, to be honest, I really didn't care what breed I had. It, it didn't matter that much to me. I just wanted a nice friend and a, and a bird dog. I wasn't trialing or anything then. And, uh, you know, I, I picked out a puppy, and after some, con he t it took some convincing. But once he convinced me, I, I picked out a puppy, and, and that was my first English setter. And once I started running that, that dog, um, he wasn't better than my Brittany. Uh, my Brittany was probably a better bird dog. Not probably. My Brittany was a better bird dog than he was. But he, uh, there was something about watching him on the run and the flow of his coat and just the be overall beauty of his, of his, his whole demeanor. He was just, just, just a great dog and he was fun to be around. And if pressed, why the English setter? Because they please my eyes. I have a lot of respect for the pointers and a lot of respect for Britneys and short hairs and, and all the pointing breeds, um, but they please my eyes. Yeah, and, and, and you, the way you present your uh, English setters, I think um, I'm going to come back to that when we talk about your field trialing because I think it's very unique in how you do that. Um, somebody, who's an English setter right for? Uh, there's, say there's some, a group of uh, younger folks out there that will listen to this podcast and to the great Brett Wanacott, who who's the English setter the right dog for? I think an English setter could be right for anybody that wants a pointing dog. I mean, they breed an English setter from everything from these, you know, 30 pound pocket rockets to, you know, 90 pound, um, gentlemen's dogs back, back East where they hunt grouse with them. Um, so I think you can buy a, a setter strain for just about anything you want in pointing dogs. Uh, you may not want the long hair of a setter. It is a little bit to deal with, and combing burrs out of a setter is not, um, it's not the most pleasant experience. But um, other than that, they're a great breed. They're, they're, the thing that I really like about my setters, and I think most people with setters would say the same thing, is you put them on the ground in their bird-finding machines. You bring them home, and they lay at your feet, and they just have this, this off switch, and suddenly they're just this cuddle friend that wants to watch TV with you or... Or, you know, if you want to keep them in a kennel, you just put them in a the kennel and that's that, right? So um, I think uh, I think they could be right for just about anybody. Now, you you are unique with your upland hunting. Before we started the podcast tonight, we had a few technical difficulties. So I um, sneakily stuck out some maps and started trying to pick out uh, all of his great, uh, Brett's great chucker spots. And he was not giving them up. But... I mean, Brett, you spend a lot of time chasing ruffs and chuckers and huns and pheasants, but you do something that's really unique with your English setters, and I see your posts. I've seen you work out there uh, in the marshes hunting ducks. Yeah, yeah, so an English setter might not be the first breed you think of when you think of a marsh dog, um, and they really shouldn't be. Uh, they're thin-skinned. Um, they're not great on a cold day. Uh, but my dogs, they, they seem to, to like to retrieve ducks. Um, I use them on warm days in gentler weather, not necessarily the most foul conditions. Uh, if you're going to use them for duck dogs, that's great because they do okay, but uh, just be careful of the conditions. They can get cold and get hyperthermia uh, you know, a lot faster than, say, a wire hair or a lab or something. It so. doesn't hurt, too, that you're a professional duck caller of some renown. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I, I blew a duck call professionally for, for quite a lot of years, which um, 
is, is a really fun thing and you get to go all over the country and, and blow in these contests and, and no, I mean, I finish ducks close and I shoot them in shallow water. So my dogs rarely have to swim the Snake River or something like that. So that helps. Mm-hmm. You, you'll spend every waking minute till February, middle of February. And, and, and uh, you know, you'll go and, and look for, you know, you're an adventurer. If you're, if you're wanting to find Brett Wanacott when he's not working, he's, he's in the desert somewhere. He's on some mountain. Uh, you're in great shape. You are, are very rigorous. You're very much... Indiana Jones with these dogs and 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 you you spend a great deal of time out doing what you love to do yeah I do I mean I'm out there you know at least three days a week sometimes four days a week uh, you know there's a lot of guys like me in Utah that, that are traveling around hunting different ranges and and uh, you know there's guys that, that hunt more than I do and travel more than I do and, and uh, uh, <laughs> some guys that know a lot more about chuckers and a lot more about grouse and those types of things than I do. And I try to pick their brains as much as possible and learn what I can. But, um, you know, traveling, hunting different ranges is super fun. And, and I've done it long enough now that uh, I'm starting to learn population trends and, and be able to put some, some and be able to predict populations, which is kind of cool. How, is there any of those things you could share? Oh, I mean, moisture has a lot to do with it, but, and it, realize nothing's foolproof. There's a lot of times when I go, oh man, we're going to have the best bird year we've ever had. And, and we get out there and there's, you know, very few birds. Um, and other years when I don't think we're going to have any and somehow they, they just, they exploded. But, uh, you know, moisture in, in this part of the world is huge. Um, if we get precipitation, well-timed spring rains, I think we get, uh, you know, better hatch and better brood survival, um, especially with chuckers. Folks, this week I received my copy of Reb McNally's new Upland Honey book, Chuckers Will Shoot Back and Other Fine Catastrophes. I'm just going to tell you, it was a hilarious read, extremely amusing. It's written about real real characters. Uh, he's fictionalized, but it's instructive at the same time. These individual stories were fantastic, and they had me spellbound. I really, really had a great time reading them. If you love bird dogs, you love Upland Honey, you're going to love this book. Chuckers will shoot back and other fine catastrophes. You can find it on Amazon.com. We'll link it in our show notes. Folks, go out and get that today. It's going to be worth every minute of your time. As we talk tonight, we're going to talk a lot about how you give back, Brett, and I don't want to embarrass you, but you are truly a conservationist. Um, So you're not only out there hunting these birds and and, and pursuing them with all vigor, but you you pursue uh, as a volunteer doing building guzzlers and helping grow these populations and habitat I, I i know that you're involved in way more than i even know about yeah um that's part of it that's that's full circle as a hunter um you, you've got to give back and you find ways to give back um you know not everybody has a lot of time so they, they give money and not everybody has a lot of money so they give time or maybe you don't have a lot of either but you can give a little bit of both um you, you do what you can to give back. And the Utah Chucker and Wildlife Foundation is a, is a great organization um, yeah, full of volunteers that are, uh, you know, really quite knowledgeable and very passionate. Um, and that's that's my, my favorite organization that I volunteer with. I also do some things with Pheasants Forever and um, SFW and, and a couple other outfits. Um, but uh, giving back is, is more fun than... Yeah, it's not more fun than hunting. It's the most fun you can have not hunting. Well, it's funny because I've talked to you before, and 
said, well, we're going to go out and we may not uh, go shoot. And you'll say, well, heck with that. I still like to eat. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes, you know, there's, there's a fine line. I mean, hunting for me is, is harvesting birds, but it's not only harvesting birds. Uh, there's more to it than that. We need good dog work. If we don't have good dog work, you know, especially running young dogs, we don't shoot. Um, if we have small coveys, we practice covey management. Uh, maybe we only take two or three today because the coveys on the mountain range we're hunting are, are smaller. Maybe we don't take any because we, we've been getting up groups of three all day and we've only seen two or three little coveys of three. Maybe we decide not to take some today. But uh, at the end of the day, I do like to put birds on the table. I enjoy eating upland game birds my hashtag no more tasteless chicken is 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 that's where it comes from i would rather eat game birds than store-bought chicken i'm going to come back to that just a little bit but when you get done hunting those chuckers and huns and these birds in in february brett you uh you put on a different face different hat you can see the eye of the tiger come out and you are in terms of nastra you know, shoot to retrieve uh, competitions. You are a fierce competitor. Your dogs are well renowned. They're they're well accolade. Uh, you you love to compete, and you're good at it. I do love to compete, and that's been the case all my life. When I was a soccer player, I you know, I do. I'm I'm a pretty nice guy, but when it comes time to to compete. Um, especially in those physical sports when I of my youth. Nowadays, I compete with a duck call and the dogs. And, man, I, there's nothing more exciting than competition, especially for good-natured, friendly competition. Going against your best friend who's also really good is the best. So um, I love to compete in Nastra. Um, Nastra is a little bit different than some of the other uh, trial circuits. Um you know, we actually, we harvest birds and the dog's expected to retrieve there. Where in, you know, a lot of the other trials, uh, I think we're just blanking over broke dogs. Um, that's one of the cool things about dog trials is I think there's a dog trial for everybody too. If you like to compete, if you don't like to compete, you go to tests. But um, Nastra's, uh, Nastra's a lot of fun. And I encourage you to come and, and find out. And, and I'm not a, a big competitor on the national stage. I don't compete to to try to get to these big national trials or anything. I mean, I, I just, I, most of the, mostly I compete locally, um, and that's fine. I, I don't have that, that interest. And I watch your dogs. They, mm-hmm. They're out there 400, 500 yards. They're going on point. You're, you're pursuing these long-range mountain ridges, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're at a 60-acre com- competition, yeah. and your dogs not only are competing and doing well, but they're winning. Yeah, so it's it's a different gear for the dogs for sure. But these dogs, they're they're not dumb. Uh, they understand. And I think if you press any of my dogs that have ran in a few trials, I think they'd rather run in trials than hunt. They they love it. Um, gearing them back to learn to turn and and stay in bounds is is another ch- is a challenge. Um, but it's it's just part of it. Uh, I teach my dogs all kinds of things that, that a lot of people don't teach their dogs to do. I teach my dogs to, to, if I point in a direction and I say hunt cover, they'll run to the cover in that direction. Um, I teach them to hunt edges. Uh, I teach them a lot of these things just, just for hunting. But then when you get into Nastra and you can have a dog that really handles like that, you might even teach them a few more things. And so having a dog that knows more than just the basics 
is a huge advantage and not not just in astro but in hunting and and it makes them i mean they're they're not dumb they're 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 intelligent animals right so i had um this last spring the opportunity to be at a Nastra tournament in northern Utah where Brett was competing and one of the judges took me out on the back of the four-wheeler to give me a feel for it and one of the braces that uh, was happening during the time I had that opportunity was Brett and uh, this gentleman was what was showing me Brett and how he's working his dogs and how he was working against the competitor and working uh, the other braces and things that you were doing he was saying and pointed out how very cunning you are and how your dogs really do communicate with you and, and was showing me this teamwork that you have with your animals that makes you such a fierce competitor. Yeah. Well, the way you work a field when you're hunting and the way you work a field in Nastra is a little bit different. In Nastra, you know there's birds in the field. Um, when you're hunting, you might cover a lot of ground and you might skip over some unlikely stuff, right? In Nastra... The birds are somewhere in that field, so you want to cover that field really well. So if you know how to, if you understand the wind, and you understand how your dog reads the wind, and then you understand, you know, what your competitor's trying to do, uh, it's, it's, you know, if your competitor's headed to one corner and you think there's a bird in that corner and you can beat him to it, well, you, you beat him to it. And you've uh, done that a lot of times, Brett. Tell us how many times you've won with these dogs. I don't know. I have no idea how many, how many times we've won. Uh, Sunny's a five-time Nastra champion. She's won four, I think, four regionals. Um, Tick is a four-time Nastra champion. He's won two regionals. And Snaps is not a champion. <laughs> but he might be someday. But he's won a regional also. And you have a young dog coming up. Rox. And Rox isn't old enough to for me to compete with yet. He's just not quite ready. But he will be. He's, he's, got, he's got some fire. He'll be fun. You do all these things, and you're very modest about it. We haven't really even touched on uh, how good you are even at the hunting, at the Nastra. But I think what really shines forth with me, with you, Brad, is, is not only are you great at these things, but you give back. And one of your passions is to, to work with a lot of the high schools. And I see you volunteer an inordinate amount of time to bring the youth into this great passion you have. So one of the big things we have as hunters in this country is, is, is you know, we, I think we touched on it earlier. My dads took me hunting, but not everybody's dads did. And, uh, you know, dads of today, boy, they got a lot on their plate. You know, they got soccer games and football games and, and a lot of things. So a lot of these kids in high schools today, they've never seen a pointing dog. In school, I bet four or five of my buddies all had bird dogs, you know. Um, if they didn't, they, they knew something they knew something about bird dogs you know uh, and I don't think the kids today have seen them so what I do and I started this and I didn't really mean to it just sort of happened by accident but one of the ladies that uh, Maureen Goodrich we um, we compete in Nastra together and and she's uh, she's just a great lady but she had a, a daughter that was in FFA at one of the high schools and she thought it'd be cool to have the bird dogs come. And, and so we, we did a little demonstration and that was probably 10 years ago. And it's, I sort of build it from that pretty soon. I was doing two high schools and then three high schools. Well, this year I'll visit six high schools. And what I do is I go in and I take a, I, I try to take a guest with me and we address all the FFA classes and pretty much anybody that'll listen. And we talk about the American model of, uh, 
wildlife management and we talk about Pittman Robertson Fund and we talk about um, conservation organizations and we talk about all the good things that hunters do. And one of my favorite things to do is ask the class, um, how many of you are against hunting? And there's always a few hands. And I always tell them that's okay. It's okay to be against whatever you believe in. But I want you to understand just just listen to what we do and 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 think about that even even if you still you're still anti-hunting after i talk to you just think about some of the things we do and then after we do that during this time my dogs are walking around the classroom they're just walking around free making friends so kids are mauling them whatever and we gather the dogs up and we take them outside um i've done it on on, with as little as a soccer field uh we go out to some habitat and i'll put on a, a demonstration for them um, oftentimes I'll set the dog off in the distance at whoa and um, you know we'll have some birds hidden right in front of the kids and, and I'll release the dog and the dog will come screaming across in front of the kids and spin and hit point and oftentimes it's all dramatic because you know I kind of set it up for success and uh, anyway a lot of times that's the first time they've ever seen a pointing dog but it's pretty neat to look up and see their eyes wow at uh, something that you know, maybe they've heard about, but they've never seen. So I think they walk away with a different impression of not just who hunters are, but of these animals that, that we love so much. You have you had any great uh, conversion stories? People that have uh, you know that, that's kind of they've taken to it. Yeah, I mean it happens. So <clears throat> I mean it happens quite a lot. Um, one of the biggest uh, wins that I think we had. Uh, I was doing a seminar for the DWR sometimes calls on me to, the Utah DWR calls on me sometimes to do some seminars for them um, on Upland Game or, or, you know, duck calling or whatever. And uh, I was doing a a seminar on Upland Game. And after this girl came up and talked to me and she was writing down some information, I was trying to send her to some good websites for information and things. Well, uh, she said that she had first seen me at a high school demonstration and uh, that's what got her interested in the dog, and she now had a puppy, and she was training the, the pup, and uh, that, that's pretty rewarding. She didn't have any exposure to hunting before that. Um, the other thing that happens is, is, you know, there'll be a kid in the class that's, like, into it. He's got his own dog already. He's hunting. He's seen me on KSL or something. He comes up, and, you know, he's excited, and, and I'll take interest in him, and I'll, you know, send him text messages and stuff back and forth about different hunts later you know, the next year or something and or on Instagram, social media or something. And we'll talk about hunting. And that's always fun too, because those guys get pretty passionate. You mentioned KSL. Now people from Utah, Idaho, uh, the Intermountain region are going to know about KSL. But for those uh, folks that might be listening nationally, KSL in our neck of the woods is a, a media. They do the news. They're a broadcast journalism. And because there's so many outdoorsmen, um, they've got a gentleman, uh, Adam Eagle, who does a lot of the, uh, he goes around and, and, and goes fishing and goes big game hunting. But when he wants to do upland bird hunting, he, he's called on one guy that I know, and that's the guy sitting here across the campfire with me. Well, first of all, Adam's no gentleman. He's a friend of mine. Second of all, um, yeah, we're, he, Adam's just a great guy. and he's, he's one of my best friends. Um, I've really, I met him at a duck calling contest, I don't know how many years ago, and he had never been chucker hunting. I'm like, never been chucker hunting? And so, anyway, shortly after, we were hunting chuckers. And, I mean, we became friends almost instantly, and we've just been friends ever since. Now, is it true you just about got him killed, though? Yeah, that was... 
that was a tough day. We had a little bit of an accident out on one chucker hunt, but um, man, he's a tough guy. He broke some ribs up on one of the mountains, and um, getting him off was was challenging. But but we did get him off, and anyway, uh, he he lets me come do a couple shows a year with him, and I really enjoy that because it, it gives some exposure to upland game hunting and and uh, some of the wild birds that we have here in the west so like you i'm trying to do my very best by my dog i have 40 years of experience training nearly every dog breed there is and i'm always looking for that edge i'm looking for those next training tools i'm trying to increase my toolbox to help my dog become a better bird dog to compete harder in field trials to just to do new greater better to reach further i came across talmud's medley became really good friends with him and watched how effectively he worked with his dogs. The natural demeanor that his dogs have in the field, the way he's able to communicate, almost like an upland hunting Dr. Doolittle. And as I watched him do this, and over the last couple years, start developing his online step-by-step courses for taking puppies through the puppies basics and building these blocks, these foundational blocks of training that in the end of the day, produce a broke pointing dog, a broke flushing dog, a broke retrieving dog. It's changed the entire approach I have to hunting dogs. You can check out these online videos and this training and his unique methodologies if you go to teasedoghouse.com. That's tsdoghouse.com. I can't recommend it strong enough. We've taken you all the way through September, all the way through your competition. The birds are now nesting and uh, your dogs are resting for the year. You're doing some training, but you're, I mean, to boot, you're a fantastic fisherman. You know, walleye, walleye, muskies, you know. So once trial season's over, I just take a nap, man. I'm tired. I <laughs> uh, kid, but um, really, uh, yeah, I like to fish. I, if, if pressed, if I only had one fish to fish for, I'd fish for muskies. I like chasing muskies. Uh, but, and I, I do some of that, you know. Oftentimes, once the trial season's over, I've got things to do around the house. And, you know, it takes time to, to write novels. So that's where we're headed. Uh, you know, it wasn't enough, Brett, that you are just this consummate epitome of a fantastic upland hunter, very fierce competitor. Your dogs are fantastic. Uh, you know, a media guy giving back to community, giving back to conservation. And even in your downtime, you know, you, you can put us all to shame and how great a fisherman you are. Now you're an author, and, and this book that you've written, A Millionaire's Dream, is a, a book uh, written about your upland passion, about dogs, about, um, you know, and, and this, is a, this is a great work. Thank you. How the heck do you have time to do this? I don't know. I must hate myself or something. I don't know. I always have to be doing something. And um, Through social media a few years ago, I discovered that, that I could write a little bit and I started doing a couple of magazine articles and things like that. I just I really didn't like what I was doing. Uh, and everybody said, you should write a book. And what they meant was you should write a book about on hunting stories. And, and I wrote some hunting stories, and I just didn't like writing that way. I wanted to do something else. So anyway, um, I'm up hunting in, in southeast Idaho where I spend quite a bit of time. And I walked upon this old, uh, this old homestead. And it was a beat-up old farmhouse, doors kicked in, uh, you know, not much left in it. But I started wondering about who might have uh, who might have lived there, who might have been the last person to live there. And the main character for the story kind of came from that. And I imagined this this young kid, maybe he lost everything and, and, you know, the house was all broken down. 
anyway, I, I wrote a story about a, an impoverished uh, teenager who was basically an orphan on a, on a farm in, in rural southeast Idaho. And he got introduced to a, a, a young bird dog puppy that happened to be uh, pretty, uh, pretty special, pretty talented. And at the same time, he met a mentor who um, was from this big city. And the mentor, he had quite a little bit of money. And his, his thing was, was field trials. He liked field trials. And uh, together, um, they sort of go on this quest to, to win a big field trial. And during it all, um, the main character, James Crockett, he, uh, he learns a little bit about life and, and love. And, and he has a really tough time along the way. Uh, I think if some of the things that happened to James Crockett happened to me, I probably would have given up on life. But, but he battles through it. And, and um, it's hopefully I've written a story that, that's fun. Uh, people seem to like it so far. If you're an upland hunter, you're going to love this story because it is about a mentor, an English setter, field trials, competition, hunting, and somebody who overcomes. This has got a lot of your soul in it, Brett. My stepdad, he, he grew up in a, in, a, in a little town in southeast Idaho and uh, in a small house that's much like the one I described. And they had very little. And he used to tell me a lot of stories about growing up. And, and he was probably growing up in the 50s, probably about in the time this book takes place. And the funny thing about it was is he had nothing, but it sounded like such a fun place to grow up. He used to talk about grabbing a hold of this, this old... Uh, Morgan workhorse by the main and crawling up on it and riding it to the store to get penny candy, you know, with bare feet. Uh, my mom would have never let me do that. But it just sounded like such a, such a fun time. And um, that's uh, why I chose to write the book in that period in that part of the world, is, is I thought it was fun. And there's a lot of, a lot of my stepdad in this story. Um, he, uh, he passed away uh, just last year. And, um, uh, you know, the books is, uh, uh, you know, it's in loving memory to him. So, um, there's, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of passion from inside in this story. And, uh, I don't know. I hope you'll enjoy it. I, I, I don't think it's, that's in doubt. I, I think as I've looked at your reviews, wow, it's been well received, Brett. Yeah, it, it has been well received. I've been, I've been nothing but pleased with the way it's been received and it seems to be selling okay. Um, I don't expect it to be a New York bestseller. I mean, it's a, it's a you know, <laughs> it, it's a book about field trials. and Well, it's about people who have dogs in field trial and hunt and, you know, live in a rural area. You know, I wouldn't imagine people in New York are going to care much about it. But, but hopefully the rest of us, uh, the rest of us, even country-type folks, I hope, I hope it skips out of the dog world and just, just country-type folks really like it. We're sitting around the campfire early on the last night of uh, November, uh, first day of December tomorrow, and so there's still a lot of hunting to do. Some people are packing it up, but there's going to come times when people have a chance to sit down and read, and if you're into upland hunting and uh, hunting dogs, there's some really great literature that you should put on your calendar, but this is one, and and it's well, well done, Brett, and congratulations on this. This is quite an accomplishment. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, so big kudos, A Millionaire's Dream by Brett Wanacott. You can find that on Amazon, I think, and and uh, anywhere else, Brett. Yeah, it's it's on Amazon. It's also on my website, uh, brettwanacott.com. It's probably cheaper to get it through Amazon. Brett, you've done so much in the Upland world with your dogs, uh, author, all the things we've mentioned. 
but if you had to, like, if it just came to one moment in time, one thing that epitomized your great experience, you could think about just a snapshot in your mind and history. Is there something that just kind of comes to your mind and experience? Well, I think, um, you know, probably I tried to win. I tried to qualify for the world championships with a duck call for eight years unsuccessfully. Now, most people would probably give up. Uh, I'm not that smart. So I just kept at it and kept at it. And when it finally happened, when they called my name as, as Utah State champion, um, that was, and the crowd erupted because, you know, everybody wants to see the underdog win. And that was a pretty pivotal moment um, and one I'll never, you know, I'll never forget. Uh, there was one other time when I won my first regional with Tick. That was a, that was a really big, uh, pivotal moment. Um, you know, it was just really emotional. Uh, little dog worked so hard and we'd worked so hard together. And we didn't, you know, at that time I didn't think I could even produce a championship bird dog alone, what I've done today. Um, so those two moments. You've got um, a lot ahead of you, but are there some specific goals, things that you want to accomplish before, you know, you have to hang up the, the duck call and everything else? What, where, where are you headed from here? So officially I retired with the duck call in 2019. Um, I wasn't going to compete anymore. The last time I competed with the duck call was on the world stage in um, November of 2019. Um, but, you know, with COVID and everything, it really kind of changed my perspective on a lot of things. And, and I, I'm getting back after it. Um, in fact, I was tuning a, a contest call just before I came over to do this. Um, so I'm going to get back after it. I want to get on the world stage, and I want to be standing when they announce the winner. And that would mean top 10, and I've never even sniffed that. So that's that's a goal. Um, man, I, I can't even imagine doing that. And people dream of winning that thing. That I've just always wanted to be on the stage when they announce the winner. Um, it's 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 really competitive anything at the highest level is 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 so hard um and the other thing you know i'm working on a second novel i'm going to write more novels um uh, i'm 10 chapters in on a on a second one and uh i want to finish that i'd really like to get it done by the end of summer uh next year 2022 and uh, and get that out and uh, i, I want to write some other things too so i want to get a little bit more involved with writing and, and those types of things so that's that's what i'm looking forward to in the future and you know keep developing young bird dogs a big great appreciative shout out to brett watercott for joining us tonight he's a busy man as you can tell we're going to post all of his links to his dogs all the things we spoke about tonight and especially a millionaire's dream his new novel in the notes we're appreciative of the time you spend here we are passionate about this and we hope that you'll join us next week here on the Extreme Upland Podcast, where it's all upland all the time. <laughs>